Welcome to The Point with Mick Rich. This week's segment, I have my good buddy, Scott Chandler, owner of Tierra Blanca Ranch down in, uh, you have a ranch outside Deming, north of Deming? Yeah, it's north of Deming and then um, the headquarters up by Hillsboro, New Mexico. Hillsboro, and where's, Hillsboro's down there as well. Yeah. yeah that neck a, of the woods. Yeah, the lower end of the Gila forest. We have a, pretty much the southern tip of the Gila. Oh, okay. And then you also have a ranch just outside Boleyn, up against the yeah, mountain? Uh, over by um, Highway 47. Highway 47. How many acres do you have there? Uh, well, it generally, you know, that's a, a place we lease, and so uh, it's probably uh, eight sections, ten sections, and then... Uh, ten sections, uh, yeah. and there's 640 acres, acres to a, a section. section. Yeah. So we're talking 6,400 yeah. acres. The, the Terra Blanca is um, pretty close to 50 sections. 50 seconds. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot of ground to cover. Lot, a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, obviously you don't do that all on horseback. Uh, you, well, you, the, the Terra Blanca, it's pretty much a, primarily a horseback ranch. Oh, is um, it? But uh, this one up here, that, I mean, that's kind of the key to, um, you know, running these kind of ranches is, you know, you don't want to have more than one that has a canyon on it named after Hell's. And Terra Blanca actually has two Hell's Canyons. Oh, so, does it really? So, so yeah, if, if you come up with, I always told my dad, uh, you know, because they bought this ranch back in 76. And I said, you know, when you guys were shopping for a ranch, you know, and you looked on there and you saw that there was Hell's 1 and Hell's 2, you should have known it was pretty rough. They couldn't <laughs> come up with another name for it. So what, what's the canyon look like? I mean, just for, for my sake, I'm I just kind of curious. Well, one of them is um, just, it's almost like the walls of your studio here and there's about a 20 foot bottom in it that you can ride oh, up. No kidding. Yeah, it's just straight up and down and how you know, tall are the walls? Uh it's it, it ranges probably several thousand feet, you know, from the bottom to the top. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah it's a deep deep canyon. And oh then the God. other hells, hells too, it, it's just giant boulders and and you can oh. get down it, but it's it's very challenging. Yeah. Oh, well, a lot good. of a lot of brush in it too. Oh, okay. So, Easy for cattle yeah. to get lost in there. Yeah, yeah. Am and I right? People too. And many people get lost in there? Oh, yeah. My dad, we've had to do a few search and rescue missions out there. We had to go find a, a group of kids one time that was lost out of Missouri in a snowstorm and, you know, some things oh. like that. So, yeah. Oh, we, my gosh. We occasionally do that sort of thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, in, I, I was in Boy Scouts growing up. Yeah. And we were doing a hike in the... Uh, the dad dropped us off at a dam, said just follow the stream down, and uh, we didn't make it to the other end. And so there we were just out, you know, 15 kids, 20 kids, ranging from 11 to 15, mm -hmm. out with no tents, no back, you know, just t-shirts. Yeah. Spent the night, got people a little excited. Yeah, yeah. You, you mean, know, and it's, yeah. That, that's kind of what happened in one of these situations. They. Um, I think they were overdue like three or four days from calling in. And oh, man. They had search and rescue out looking for them. And the gal from the hospital in Missouri, she called us. And she <coughs> was, you know, please, you know, can you guys go look for them? I mean, they're not finding them. And the helicopters yeah. are looking. And so my dad and I went out in about, uh, I imagine it took us about eight or nine hours. We trailed them the, up and found them. In the can one of the canyons? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I'll be darned. So... How do you, now, do you have federal or state leases as well? Uh, there, it's all um, federal. We have private land. I mean, we're the 
from my understanding, after Ted Turner sold his big chunk back to the forest or donated or whatever he did, um, we're the largest private land holder inside the National Forest now of inholdings. So we have um, really large chunks of private inside the National Forest that controls our allotment. And then the rest of it's a federal allotment, you know, controlled by the feds. Right, okay, National so forest. what you have is you got private land surrounded by federal land. Yes. And so, and then surrounding you, you lease that land. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it's, uh, we don't consider it a lease. I mean, that's, we could spend an hour on that topic. With uh, the, I, with, I, yeah, with that the gets. With the allotments, you know, as an allotment holder, you know, we, we actually own our <laughs> allotment and, you know, the allotment to buy, like for instance, when my granddad and dad bought this place, they had to buy what they considered a base property that's tied to the private land that's tied to the allotment. And then under the, the law, as most people used to interpret it, I mean, we pay taxes on our um, improvements that are on the federal land and, you know, like our wells and pens and that sort of thing, we depreciate them, you know, just like they would, it's, it's considered a split ownership. And so, you know, it, when people say, well, you guys don't actually own your allotment, it's like, well, why don't you tell the IRS that? Because, you know, we're, we actually depreciate our property. I mean, we so it's consider land. a split estate with the feds. Right. Oh, I got so, it. Yeah, that, I, it's, it's me, kind of I, in a, I, a different situation with the feds because they don't like really recognizing that anymore. And you know, we well, that's right because they're out in D.C. Yeah, they don't want you out here. Well, it's like you as a. Um, I'm pretty sure you own your own home. I mean, right. You, you, when you own your own home, you feel like you have more of a vested interest but you that's also right. you own what your your property is so that's i mean right. that's your property where if you're just a renter and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with renting a house but it's no, not the same right. sort of scenario and so when we're just the the government would rather look at a lot of the ranchers as a renter because then they can just kick you out well, versus that's right. if you actually own your allotment and you actually have rights that's a whole different but that is ball a of wax whole, for them. But that yeah. is. And we've, and that's one of the things, you know, maybe we're getting too far down. But, but you know can, what we're, ta what you're also talking about is up in Southeast Oregon. Mm -hmm. What was that rancher's name that had the standoff? Um, uh, the, you, yeah, but, they, they just got, and then uh, they shot one of them. And, and his name's yeah, <laughs> slipping yeah, my I mind I can't now. remember their yeah. name. My wife's uh, yeah. sister and her husband and there's a lot of controversy coming out of that too i mean that's you know whether they really should have done that and you know the fed shot him or you know oh, I tell you it what, was just it you is know i mean huge. you talk about a de-escalation sure. problem you know we'll let people go tear down monuments and then these guys i mean they're actually standing on principles that are rooted in the law right i understand and that. so you know maybe not everybody agrees you know it's even like with um, you know the allotments i i know we went in and did a uh, recently a presentation to the Sierra County right. commissioners and they voted a resolution essentially reaffirming that we have water rights and you know that sort of thing and so which was came out of case law over in the right. Sacramento's okay so let's say you're going to do an improvement on your allotment do you have to get a permit through the Forest Service well generally uh, they would say yes because we have what we call operating permits right. and you know so we usually go in because there's like studies they do like a NEPA or whatever you know just as a contractor you know even right. on certain 
um, land. You know, you can't just go in there and blade it up and start, you know, building a spring or whatever. Like anywhere, yeah. I tell you yeah. what, I can't do it either. Yeah, so, right. so we go in and, you know, we have to work out a plan. Yeah, we, we, we work pretty hard to work with the Forest Service, but we also, at the same time, you know, we're pretty staunch on that. You know, we actually own the improvements. Um, for instance, if you're going to go hunting out, like on my place, and yeah. you know, you're thinking you're going to hunt on the public land, well, if you find a set of corrals in a well, you can't just park your horses in my corral and say, well, you know, this is federal land. I'm going to use oh, this for my I horses. I got you. I but, have but rights going, to that. Right. Going back to that permitting process, I can remember I was out in Daddle, I think mm -hmm. it was, for the uh, water board meeting out there. Mm -hmm. And then there was question and answers of the candidates. I was there, a vet was there, Sosi was there. And uh, in the question where the ranchers brought up about the permitting process, how much permits there are, how much requirement there is, how much paperwork it was. Mm -hmm. I can remember Sosi talking about, we're gonna get more people in Washington to process those permits. And I remember saying, I don't think the challenge is we don't have enough employees in Washington. We have too many per permits. Yeah, and, and it does just get bogged down with, I mean, we've been going to D.C. and actually working with some of the leadership up there to try and <coughs> streamline things, you know, get um, one to just see that, you know, we're uh, looking at it a little differently than they do in which, you know, we just we don't want to split hairs, but let's just work together. Right. And so and that that has been something that I think is even they've recognized, hey, you know, especially through the Trump administration, I've seen a lot of streamlining. Right. So like. out of curiosity, how much time do you spend 20, 30 percent on the paperwork documentation compared to wow. in a 40 hours, let's say a 40 hour work week, which you don't you work, I believe, more than 40 in a in 40 hours in a week. How much time is spent per week? on paperwork for the feds and state? Well, I wouldn't say we spend the, that much time because, um, you know, like we do kind of operate in a way where, you know, we're, we have our annual meetings where we meet with them and then we have to update them or when we're moving our pastures. Well, we don't have to. It's something that, you know, we work together on. So I would say, you know, 10% of our time, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure we're communicating okay. with them what's going on, but, following but, our proper paperwork and you know keeping things up to speed so i think know. it's probably quite surprising to the people in new mexico and albuquerque in the urban areas to think that a rancher like yourself and colette are spending time having to follow through on paperwork and documentation <laughs> not just on horseback <laughs> scott yeah. i want to chat a little bit with you about the tierra blanca ranch for troubled youths great question i have is what in the world made you and Colette decide you want to help, you know, troubled use? This, that to me is a vocation, mm -hmm. not, not a job, but a vocation. When you uh, take that on, and, and you're not talking about taking on uh, young men, I take it young men, yeah. Or were there women too? We young, used to have um, young girls too. Yeah, young women, young men come in. We're not talking about the, the top of the class. We're talking kids that are struggling and parents are worried about the direction their kids are going in. Well, to start with, uh, 
you know, growing up, my mom and dad took in just kids. I mean, not in a formal way. And it was kind of an informal thing. Even the state would, they had like foster kids they couldn't find a place for. <laughs> They'd wind up in our house. And my mom and dad, you know, I just grew up with our spare bedroom having somebody in it nearly all the time. And I would see these kids come in, you know, they were, if they couldn't like place them in a foster home, you know, they were pretty troubled. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. you know, they would come in and, you know, they would just do our life. And I would see these transformations. Well, I went on to college and um, ended up studying criminal justice. And in the process, everybody kept saying, you know, this recidivism, recidivism, and essentially, you're just going to rearrest the same guy from like 13 years old till you put him away for good when he's like in his 20s. And that just seemed, it, one, it was very disheartening to me thinking yeah. that, wow, this is the process. And, you know, this is all we have to look for. And they would show whether whatever they did for intervention was you still had the same percent. Two percent might make it something like that. Yeah. And so when I got out of college, you remember in a. Our earlier segment, I mentioned about that group that got lost up there. Yeah. Well, they were actually up there working with troubled youth, and I had ended up where well, we found them in the snow up there and you know helped them get rescued, but was looking at their method and what they were doing, and I remember going to my dad and telling him, you know what, we could do a lot better job at this, because I remember what our foundation was with those other kids that they had been you know bringing into our home. <laughs> so I put together a program and went down to the Luna County, and I figured out what it was costing to kind of keep them in jail there at the juvenile center and knocked off like 20 bucks a day ahead, you know, what it would cost and said, you know, I can do it for this and this is what we'll be teaching. Instead of sitting in jail watching TV, you know, I don't think at the time they had video right. games in there, now they do, but, you know, we'll have them out working, teaching them things, you know, we've already, you know, we can um, have them schooled out there. And I walked out of there with 20 kids not literally, but a contract right. with 20 kids, essentially. And, you know, and those were kids, you know, a lot of them, yeah, they weren't the top of their class at the time, but once we got them and you found, they went from F's to A's, yeah. nearly every one of them. And, you know, we've had kids graduate from Notre Dame. We've had kids, you know, graduate from, you know, a lot from NMSU. You know, actually just one of our young men just got commissioned as a second lieutenant, okay. you know, so... So all gamuts, uh, you know, that was part of that. Right. What I'm saying about uh, they're not at the top of class. Yeah. What I mean by that. Yeah, they were They were at currently. <laughs> they were at the bottom. That's right. Yeah. I'm not, right. They had F's or they were in jail or on. Some of them were in jail. We'd actually get them. Or some of them actually were just, if we didn't intervene, and, and that's where we started working with like CYFD from the beginning. And, you know, and that was the JPOs and the judges and, you know, counselors. They saw that the other methods that were going on or the treatment, as they called it, wasn't getting the same results. And well, it isn't. And uh, in my business, you know, we have hired in young men um, and, you know, laborers that have had trouble pass, had made mistakes. Some have mm -hmm. done time, uh, some have had multitude of problems. And we brought them into the company. We've, several of them, we've run through apprenticeship programs. Mm -hmm. uh, they're getting paid while going through the apprenticeship programs. I just sat down with one young man, great guy. Uh, and we talked about uh, what we're gonna do, how we can help him get his record expunged. Mm -hmm. Uh, and do those things because, Scott, I, I know you and Colette, 
you guys, it's not about dollars and cents. It's mm -hmm. about making a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing. You're taking somebody, as my daughter would say, dad, a loser isn't somebody with a past. It's somebody with no future. Mm -hmm. And you've taken somebody that has a past. A lot of times they're the forgotten. That's yeah. right. And you've given, the two of you have given them a future. Tell you, when I talk about, I get choked up over yeah. things like this. When we talk about making a difference in people's lives, it's not about putting a buck in a, can, a tin mm -hmm. at the street corner. Mm -hmm. We're talking about living it, bringing them into your homes, making a difference, giving them a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, that to me is huge. I, I've been to a couple events and I'm talking to these young guys and uh, wearing cowboy hats. I, you know, well, they, they made our best employees. That was one of our secrets was, you know, we would um, yeah. hire them in the end, you know, after they went and did something else and they'd come back and they were instrumental in working with the other youths. I mean, our best employees were ones that started out with us as a 13 year old or 15 year old. Yeah. So I'm talking to these two young guys, man, these are I mean, the epitome of strong, proud, uh, humble at the same time. Mm -hmm. Capable. Capable, I'm talking to them at this event, and then they said, oh, you know, we came, came, with, uh, came on board with uh, Scott and Colette, and I, you know, I'm one of their successes. That to me. One that they will even tell you that speaks a testament to their life. Yeah. yeah, and and I said, wow, this, this is this is quite remarkable. And when you meet those guys and young ladies, I mean, most of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you met any of the girls, but the guys. I mean, you would go anywhere with those guys, wouldn't you? Oh, I mean, you would feel comfortable. Was, oh, there was going no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was. I mean, so, I'm just really proud of our guys. Well, Not yeah. bragging on myself. I'm just proud of those guys. It's I mean, huge. You know, when you see what they've done, it's like when we just you know went to the commissioning of that one young man. Yeah, I. I can't describe the feeling sitting there watching him be commissioned oh. as a you know second lieutenant, you know that sort of thing, and know how far they came. To know how far they came, yeah. I I talk with uh, with coaches. Uh, my kids played. My three oldest played competitive soccer. Mm -hmm. uh, talk with teachers, and they said, and I'm a firm believer of this: is the A students are A students no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, the C students, the D, the D students, you know, the A's and B's are going to be there. Mm -hmm. You just got to maintain. Mm -hmm. Where you can make a world difference in this life is taking a student that's a, a D and moving them up. But what you, the two of you have done is you've taken students that are F's and you've moved them into the A class. And one of the keys you mentioned early on about like your apprentice program, that that's one of our foundational things was you know, it helped with the, I'm a firm believer that's one reason why we had the academic side down so well, because they had a great portion of their day where they're working with their hands. Whether we're tiling something, they learn to tile. They learn to weld. They learn to build. Oh, they learn yeah. all these. And I, and I know, and not every one of them go to college. Oh, that's Some right. of them went on and, you know, and learned horseshoeing trades or became welders or, you know, yeah. track hoe operators. Some of our greatest success stories down there were, you know, a couple of them. I mean, they were the first in their family to ever graduate high school. Ever, oh. I mean, high school, I'm not talking about college, high school. Oh. And then went on and became, you know, like a, a track hoe operator, you know, making $100,000 a year. I, yeah. In the construction business, we, it's, it's talked about yeah. when we get together, peer groups, 
is the best employees to hire is is a either a ranch somebody that worked on a ranch or a farm mm -hmm. and that's huge so I would imagine with your success that you were having and in the differences you were making in people's lives I would imagine that the county the state national was you must the two of you must have been getting awards all over the place yeah. of saying wow what did, did you do any like shows where they brought you the two of you in well we did like presentate like the um i believe it was the new mexico board um, school board association they honored us for work for doing with our kids and we did presentations with them i mean we were working with two different school districts silver city public schools deming public schools right. And, and then NIH, National Institute of Health, they awarded NMSU a grant because everything, there was so much buzz of what we were doing okay. that they awarded a grant to send 100 kids through the program over a summer. And, you know, just to, to really, and they, they were long-term tracking those kids and that sort of thing. And, you know, we, we had a lot of um, local new like sun news you know las cruces you know even so did the the governor governor richardson give you a citizen of the year award no no or it, susanna Mart <laughs> governor martinez say i wish to reach you know have the yeah, two of you, you know, come up and honestly say, we didn't even really think about that you know when you're in the middle of that you know we were just helping kids and helping through their lives and so like when we get called to you know, come and be honored like in Luna County yeah. or in Doniana or Silver City or something like that. I mean, we were grateful, but, you know, it was quickly you had to just get back to work because, oh, you know, when I, you're you're dealing with the, the, the kind of population we were dealing with, I mean, you had to really stay focused. And, you know, it was true. like I remember one time we were called out to, and, we, and it was the Silver City Daily Press, and they had all of our kids on you know, out at the airport there in Silver City, and you know, people were like, "Wow, that was really cool." And I, I was like, "Yeah, you know," but quickly we were back to work. That's right, and I think that's what impressed me so much about you and Colan is the, the uh, how humble the two of you have been and the successes that you've had. And I've gone to D.C., I've seen different politicians, and it goes to their heads. Yeah. And you see it over and over. That's why it's Senator so Bingaman, he got um, what, yeah. um, um, grant money for Silver City Public Schools to put their kids in the program. Good. Program that you had put together, you and Colette. And I said, I had asked you, boy, you must have gotten kudos and all sorts of awards from our governors. But the reality was it wasn't, it was completely opposite of that. I, I would imagine the two of you were shocked what happened. Well, it was interesting because like we had, you know, I can probably pull up dozens and dozens of letters from district judges, from JPOs, from, you know, sector chiefs and that sort of thing, begging, you know, for resources to keep continue putting kids in the program because they had kids in the program. We would find some way to fund their kids yeah. that they were wanting to send. And so then they want to do more and they wanted to do more. And so, yeah, it, it was interesting because under the Medicaid, we were approached by um, a local healthcare group during, back before the value options take over. And they came, showed up at the ranch one day and they were like, you know, everybody says we need to work with you guys. 
And so we started working with the Medicaid kids, and we had, I think it was like 16 to 20 at a time, you know, of their kids, which we were supposed to start with kind of entry-level kids, right. you know, at risk, they called them. Yeah. But quickly, it turned into, you know, we ended up with their million-dollar kid. They had already spent a million bucks on this kid, sending him all over the United States, and he had washed out everywhere, and now they had nowhere to go. And they said, Scott, if you can just take him, we don't expect any results, just... You know, we just want you to try your best. Nobody else has succeeded. We're not, ex- we're not going to hold it against essentially your success rate. And we had success with him. And so, you know, this was actually under the Richardson administration when this started, ha- or, well, prior to Mich- Richardson's. And then, right then, we had a transition. Richardson got elected. And, well, I don't know, you know, the whole things were flying around about pay to play and all that kind of crazy stuff. And I don't know if it was connected or not, but value options comes in, takes out the providers we were working with. So here we have these, you know, 16 kids or so that were Medicaid and they hire CYFD top personnel and they come up and they say, all right, you're not the type of model we want. Even though we still had the million dollar kid, they couldn't find placements for them. And they were saying they were going to have them out of there in a week. Well, a year later, they're still working. Well, we're in the process trying to meet value options criteria. So Governor Richardson gets an appeal from Domenici and Congressman Pierce at the time saying, hey, you know, they're trying to yank the funding from these guys. Can you work with them? And so CYFD um, shows up with value options, and they're trying to turn us into something we're not, which the things they have aren't being successful. And then they want to make us into that. And we're like, no, we can't do that. This is what we are. This is what makes us successful. So the governor actually appointed his secretary at CYFD and deputy secretaries to really come in and and supposedly try and manage manage this. And this is where, this is kind of an important thing with, um, because a bureau chief at the time, he sets me down. He says, you know, because we thought we were getting somewhere. They wanted to create a special program, a place for us. Oh, man, I could just hear this. Yeah. We're here to help you, Scott. Well, well, you know, and I actually felt like some of the administration people were pretty sincere, and they said, you know, there's a, a, a way we can bring this in under the CYFD umbrella and kind of make everybody work at a special designation. But when the, the CYFD personnel heard about it, he says, you know what? Governors come and go, secretaries come and go, and deputy oh, secretaries come man. and go. I'm the real power here. Oh, Yes. bureaucracy is the real power when we hear about the swamp that's yeah. what we're talking about and you know and they essentially blackmailed the bunch and then all of a sudden those people started going off and disappearing yeah. and then we were just left thrown to the wolves with no and here we thought we were working in good faith and it wasn't that way and then next thing you know i don't know if you even heard about I me mean, they came up and they drove into the creek you know I had to jump in and save two other lives. You know, CYFD agents, they were up there. I was warning them, you don't come up here. We've got flash flood warnings. Don't come and check the freezers because they want to check your temperature of your freezer, and, you know, stuff like that instead of what's really substantive. And they came anyway, nearly lost their lives, nearly killed me too. And, you know, it's that kind of bureaucracy. And, you know, but then... The governor, you know, essentially just rolled us under the butt. But value options was the problem, you know, and I think that was the seat where but, you took out good providers that were trying to help, and then you put people in there that it was about money or whatever, and it killed tell us. Tell you what, I, I think it's about money, and it's about power, mm-hmm. 
and it's about control. Yeah. And we see that over and over. I, I with a, uh, a couple other, about three other people, started up a charter high school. Got great success uh, with the charter school. It was recognized, you know, by Reader's Digest, one of the top ten, you know, schools in the country for a category. I'm not quite sure what category it was, but it got recognized of taking, and this is, we were one of the first charter schools in Albuquerque, and it didn't take long that when we started to get some success in recognition, then all of a sudden... Start throwing rocks at you. It was more than rocks. <laughs> and it didn't take long before they shut us down. Mm -hmm. And then that charter school's well, gone. And that's the way, even like in our situation, that same chief, he told me, he says, nobody doubts your success rates are the best in the state, but you still have to do it our way. And I told him, I said, that's the difference between you and me. If our roles were reversed, I would be trying to figure out how I'm doing it like you versus you trying to, oh, you know, put me into a square right. box. But, you know, instead of trying to learn from us, which, you know, I'm not saying we had to cure all, right. but when something's working, you jump in and work with it. And, you know, and, that, and that's the thing I told him. I said, you know, it's not about the kids, and it is more about the power. And oh, it's all about the power. We see this play out over and over right now with the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah. It is about... I have the power and I have the power to shut you down and I am going to raise the penalties to you so high that you can just, uh, you're going to buckle under and if you're not, we're going to pound you into the ground. Yeah. And I've seen that over and over. We saw it happen in grants with the mayor in grants, right? Mm -hmm. In the, what was it, a barber shop in grants? Yeah. We're going to start raising the stakes mm -hmm. or you take the restaurants, we're going to pound you into the ground. We're going to come after you with every means possible. I've been through it as well, and it's painful. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, it's a testament of the two of you standing up. Now, I mean, at the local level, and I want to clarify on CYFD, we had really good relations. You know, I, and those people, I mean, you know, they were the ones dealing directly with the kids and placing the kids with us. I mean, CYFD was our largest client over time. Right. Yeah. I understand. I, yeah, you know, right. it's, it's just when you like, get up into the swamp, and then and then like towards the end, like Richardson, you know, looked at it. Well, these guys, it's not worth fighting for something like this. And then you just get chucked to the wolves. And you know, and we went on our way, and you know, we just went totally private, non-funded by any of those entities, and we actually became more successful. And you know, and I think that's what, you know, that was back in oh five oh six, and then yeah. you know, you you have to jump. A little further down the road. Then what happened? Just real quick, we got we've got about four minutes left here. Well, um, it it's a pretty detailed, long story, but you know somehow we ended up on the wrong side of Governor Martinez, and you know we were targeted, and you know we actually have testimony. We're working really hard to get things opened up. We actually have a lawsuit out there right now on some of the records because. We want to open up the records. We said, we want the Senate, we want the people to see this because we actually had testimony. Like when we asked, why was there Hummers and helicopters and everything? And they take, you know, the Chandler's parents out and put them out in the grass with the SWAT team. Um, you know, my elderly parents, what was that all about? We had a senior administrator, I mean, guy that had been a part of that say, theater. You know, all that's for theater. You know what, we see it overall. Yeah. And, it's, and really also what it's about is about theater but also it is about 
sending the message to other people. Mm-hmm. You fight the system. You don't. We're coming them. after you. We're coming after your kids. We're coming after your parents. We're going to burn your house to the ground. Yeah. And we're going to make you knuckle under no matter what. And we've seen it with the bureaucrats, whether it's in Washington, whether it's in Santa Fe. We've seen it over and over. We've seen it with the, uh, were you aware there was a doctor in, uh, I can't remember where it was, and he was collecting arrowheads. And the feds came after him because he had, uh, you know, the wrong arrowhead. And they were going after him. He finally took his own life to protect his family because he said, when I'm out of the picture, they're going to leave my family alone. Yeah. The same thing happened to a doctor up in, in Utah, same situation. He said, the only way to save my kids, my family, my wife, my parents. And he, and he was the sole doctor in that community. And he took his own life just to protect his kids from the feds. Well, and that's the sad thing about even like with our deal. You can take our name and plug your name into where they did it and whatever business you are and they can do the same thing to you they just because oh. you know it's like they went back with some of those same characters from 05 and you know the cyfd people and you know manipulate it to make it look like whatever they want you know they left left out that they had signed agreements with this you know we were operating they actually helped us design some of the initial protocols yeah. that they're burning us down for later on and but you just take whatever you are, and that's why it's important for, and that's why we did fight back. It wasn't about the money when we sued and right. to get back. You know, it was so that they couldn't do this to other people okay. and we, to shed a light on what's going right. on. So, Scott, we need to bring this segment to a close. I want to talk about what you finished with is it's not just about me. It's about people out there in the state of New Mexico, across the country, that when you stand up for what you believe in and what is right and just stand on who you are, you can be a lightning rod for those that don't like it. So, you're kind of lonely as well. Yes, <laughs> I know that. Western <laughs> movies, starting with uh, Gary, Gary Cooper in uh, High Noon. And I can remember as a kid watching it, and I'm thinking, why is the sheriff out there all by himself? Where's the rest of the, the people of the town? What, why is he all alone? He, if the town folks came behind him and, and stood with him, it makes it so much easier. But the reality is that, that people stand back and think, oh my gosh, you know, if I get involved, I'm going to be a target too. But the more of us that stand up, the stronger it is. And Scott, I, I just, I, I look at this and I think about how I knew Kerry uh, Gary Cooper walking, you know, waiting for those guys to come in on the train, right? Yeah. High noon. And, or a rifleman. Uh, yeah. And, but also that's been a common theme over the years mm-hmm. in, in the movie industry, whether it's uh, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, some of those strong characters uh, where, you know, uh, standing up for what is right. Uh, Clint Eastwood was a little bit of a different character yeah. than Cary Cooper, but I yeah. got, I love watching Clint Eastwood in those movies. But Scott, uh, what I want to talk about isn't that it's just, it takes so much energy to, to be the sole one standing up and saying, 
this isn't right. The, the government is here for the people, not the people for the government. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what is your, looking back at this whole thing, was it worth it to you? Uh, All the heartache that the two of you went through? Well, somebody told, asked me a while back, you know, if, if having the program was worth what happened to us. And I told him, you know, when you asked me that, three names came to my mind of just youths that immediately I know we made a huge difference in their life. And there was so many more. And I said, you know, even if it was just one of those three that I saw that we saved, you know, I think it was worth it. You know, what I worry about is, you know, you see what they did to us. And, you know, and I, and I, you know, a lot of the counsel we were receiving at the time, everybody was, because, you know, they, they rated us like on a, a Thursday. And by Tuesday, they were already in court dismissing everything that they had tried to get the warrants with, you know, so that we couldn't fight back. Yeah. Which, so we had filed a lawsuit the day before the raid to, to try and open it up because we found out all this stuff was being done cloak and dagger. We had no idea what they were right. doing behind the scenes. And so we filed a lawsuit to bring it into the light. And if we hadn't done that, they would have, you know, when they walked in there and dismissed everything, you know, just been like, oops, well, sorry, you know, we're done. And so, you know, that's, that's you know, you can't just walk in and carpet bomb somebody and then just like go out the exit and say, well, oh, sorry, we're, that was oh. unfortunate. And, you know, the kids were gone, you know, our reputation's ruined, you know, all those things that, you know, had hit us. And so, yeah, we, we were following through, but even then at that point, I remember, you know, some of the advice we were getting, legal advice, they were like, you know what, just take the money you still have oh. and do something else. You know, don't, if you're going to fight this, you know, it's going to be this huge, long out, drawn out battle that, you know, and you know how they always say, you know, you don't fight City Hall. And, oh, right. You know, and, but, you know, we made the decision, you know, my family did and said, you know what, this isn't about the money. You know, they shouldn't be able to come in and do this to people. They shouldn't be able to, you know, ruin people this way. And, you know, and so we went after it. And amazingly, I mean, it's, you know, we, we would need an hour and a half just to even get through part of the story of what we uncovered and how you do that. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. And, you know, one of the things I guess that's really challenging is, you know, I, I'm not a rich guy. Right. You know, and, you know, we, you have a, an asset or something. I mean, we, we borrowed money to, you know, do a lot of these battles. And, you know, people are like, that's crazy. And, you know, whether, you know, and as a financial investment, you're probably better off going and putting that <laughs> money in Vegas. But, yeah, you know, I agree. to get the principal. And that's what, you know, dealing with a lot of the attorneys, there's, there's so few people now in our system isn't set up for people that fight for principle. And if we didn't have the ability to raise the money we did to fight the way we did, in which we actually did it on, you know, very low cost budget, you know, because yeah. the way our attorneys worked, I mean, they're great and they were awesome. So, But it's still just, you know, some guy on the street, he doesn't have access to even what I did. You just, I mean, you might just get rolled into jail and you're sitting in jail. And, you know, and I've dealt with public defenders with these kids. And, you know, the public defenders, they may be a decent lawyer, but when you're representing 30, 40 kids oh, that that's week, right. you know, they're just walking in and, 
you see him. I mean, I don't know how many of those public defenders I walked up, and the first time I talked to him was five minutes before we walked into that kid's trial. Yeah. And so that's not the way our system's set up. And so, you know, yeah, it, you can really get railroaded. We, and that's why, you know, I said in that last segment, you just take your name and you put it, substitute it in mine in your business, and you could just be right there. I'll tell you what, I've been there also with my yeah. business uh, when I ran for office. Uh, it amazes me what will, what will happen to an individual that follows a path that is for the right reasons. And, and again, I'm not just talking about a conservative, but this is about liberal as well, mm-hmm. is that you're not, you're not trampling other people's rights. You're walking your path, you're following it through, and somebody doesn't like your path. Mm-hmm. And they are gonna do whatever it takes. We had somebody write a negative response, you know, Google review on our company somewhere back east. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable to me. Why? Because I ran for office. Mm-hmm. You have people that are out there, but Scott. Well, they don't want you stepping forward, and that's the th- thing. You and know, that's right. We, we don't want good people. And it's, you know, and it's, it is a challenge, whether, you know, it's politics or it's just stepping up and doing the right thing as far as, you know, a business person in the community. If, you know, you worry about, well, what's the liability if I, you know, have a cookout for somebody? And, you know, and you're like, oh, you oh what, my goodness, right. man. I knew How God. can you do good things for people anymore? That's right. So the other question, is, so there was two things. Would you do it again having the uh, Tierra Blanca Ranch for troubled use? Would you do that again? But then the second one was, looking back on it, would you have tossed in the towel? knowing today what you know. Yes, I'd do it again. And we actually have a permanent operating agreement with CYFD right now where we can. And it's just, we're trying to get through the rest of our legal challenges that, you know, those lawsuits that we brought. Right. And to answer your second question, um, no, I'm, I wouldn't throw in the towel. I'm glad, I mean, there was times where it was getting pretty lean and it, it was like, wow, man, this is a long, I mean, we settled just about a year ago and. October 11th was our seventh year anniversary, and we settled our, our biggest lawsuit six years you know, after takes, the fact. It takes, oh God, And it's you know, painful. and I actually heard that's actually pretty quick. I mean, you know, it could have, you we could want. still be dragging on. Yeah, you know, and we, appeals, if we hadn't settled and all that sort of stuff. You know, we settled, I think, um, a month and a half, two months right before our trial date last July. And which, you know, say we would have won our trial. You know, and, and to me, I would have preferred to have really just gone all the way through, but you know, we were looking at our resources and say we won the trial, but then we it's got hit with appeals. appeals. Yeah, it's automatic. Bench. And then we would have 10 years of appeals. That's right. You know, and we just, as a family, didn't have the resources to fight 10 and years of appeals. And guess what? And the state knows it. Yeah. And this is probably the most uns- upsetting thing to me is that when you or I stand on what we believe in, what is right, and the other side looks at it and said, we're going to wear you down. Mm-hmm. And it's all about wearing you down. We actually had is, one of their attorneys tell us that. We have more money, more, and I mean, he was trying to be nice about it, but he was saying, just let it go. He said, we, had, we have the money and the resources to wear you down. We'll run you out of money. That's uh, the goal. That's the game plan. I, we had... Uh, 
some challenges up uh, with Los Alamos Labs on a contract. And they did that exactly to us. And then when we started doing the Freedom of Information Act, Mm -hmm. that finally brought him to the th brought him to the table so we could sit down and talk to him you know what I told that attorney I said if, if it comes to that I said if I have to uh, you know and Pete can't get paid said I'll go out and pick up cans and then I'll just fight you myself but you know and that's the, that's the tenacity that we have to have to turn it around See what? so the gentleman that that helped me get started he he gave me a, a job in construction to pay my way through college. Alan Bradford was from uh, immigrant from England. Came to the United States with a million with a dollar in his pocket. Built a multi-million dollar construction company. Sold it to a big conglomerate. And uh, at the end, they said, "You can. We're going to call it even. You can keep your car and no <laughs> money." And he sued them. And uh, and they were going to break them and they were going to do everything they could. and this is the guy that taught me and he hung in there he sold his boat sold the plane sold the rv sold everything to keep the lawsuit up he won the multi-million dollar law he won the lawsuit against the conglomerate then he went after the big seven accounting firm he went to court and the judge turned to the accounting firm and said i suggest you settle with mr bradford because you're not going to agree, you're not going to be happy what I come up with. And Alan showed me that you stand on what's right. Scott, it's been great to have you yeah. here. Uh, we need to bring it to a wrap, but as you can tell, what's important is that you stand on principle. You stand on what you believe in right. And that doesn't mean what we're seeing today trample over other people's rights or what they believe in. But we stand on what is right and fair. Scott, you are and Colette are are patriots in that term, and I, it's an honor, and I'm humbled to know you both. Thank well, you for being here. I appreciate it, Mick, and I'm grateful that you know you just even gave us the opportunity to come on and be on your show, and 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 also thanks for getting around New Mexico. I mean, you've been one of these guys who you get out and you really um, put your feet to action. Thank you very much. Thank Scott, you. thank